So we've talked about in this series how Joseph went from being a dreamer in part one and how he had a big dream. He was dreaming about being a leader for his whole family. And uh, he kind of shared that dream in a, in a premature way, talking about how all of his brothers were gonna bow down to him. They didn't like that dream. Joseph, Joseph went from being a dreamer to being thrown in a pit, then sold as a slave uh, to some Midianite travelers. And then they went down to Egypt and sold him again to Potiphar's house. Potiphar was one of the leaders that worked under Pharaoh. And Joseph became a servant and served in that house until he was accused of a crime he didn't commit. Thrown in prison, last week I preached in the prison clothes, and uh, we talked about how Joseph was in that prison and learning to trust God in a low place, finding friends in a low place. And then we picked up, uh, we're gonna pick up today on when Joseph was called out of the prison. He was called into the palace. And when he came into the palace, Joseph would face his biggest test yet. This wasn't just a test about helping serve a nation and save a nation that was about to go through a famine. This was a test of how do you handle family trauma? How do you handle bad blood with family members who have hurt you and betrayed you? And it would be the test of forgiveness. So I wanna title the message today, Bad Blood, Revenge or Restore? All right, so if you got a Bible, go to Genesis 41 this morning. You can shout if you want to. You can clap. We love the Word of God. So the question that I have for you today is, which path will you choose? The path is yours, revenge or restoration. How many in this room have been hurt by someone? Anyone been hurt by someone? 100% participation. This is the, like, whenever I ask questions in church and 20 people raise their hands, I'm always trying to think, what's the right question to get all the hands raised? That's the question right there. We just had everyone raise their hands. You're like, yeah, I've been hurt by this person next to me right here. Uh, this morning, something they said, something they did. It's gonna get real today. We are going to cure all the parking lot fights that happened before church. <laughs> it's real, it's real. When you're driving to church with your family and you're stressed and, and someone says something or does something. But Joseph had pain that was much, much deeper. And um, I honestly think that the the biggest pain, that the relational pain, comes from those who are closest to us, those who mean the most to us, because they can hurt us the most. Someone you care for the most can inflict the deepest wounds in your heart. So in verse 14 of Genesis 41, Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. I brought my wardrobe out because we've had a lot of different outfits during this series, right? Joseph had, had this coat in part one. You guys remember this coat? Should I put it back on? <laughs> this was a fun coat. I enjoyed this one. But then he was stripped of this one. He, this was torn from, his brothers took this and they ripped it up and they dipped it in, in blood that they had killed uh, like a bunch of random animals and then they told their dad, your son Joseph is dead. He's been killed by ravenous wolves and he's no longer here. Well then Joseph is sold, right, as a slave and he ends up working in Potiphar's house, and I wore this the next week, and we talked about how Joseph was a waiter. He was, he was a servant in the house. How many of you guys were here when I sang Beauty and the Beast 
and we passed out milk and cookies, right? But then this didn't last long. In fact, scholars believe that he was only a servant for about a year in Potiphar's house before he was thrown in prison at age 18. So at age 17, he's wearing a coat. Between 17 and 18, he's wearing an apron. And then when he's 18 years old, he's sentenced to life in prison. And he finds himself in the dungeon where the king's prisoners are kept, right? And I talked about how last week Joseph had to find friends in low places. This, this costume, by the way, last Saturday, this was not cut. This was together, and it was very tight, and it was like fat guy in a little coat. Like, it was a belly shirt. So our team cut it. They were like, this will be easier for you and less awkward for the church to watch. Um, so just a little behind-the-scenes stuff going on for you. But Joseph was in the prison, right? For 12 years, they believe, he was in the prison, stuck in a low place. And then we pick up in verse 14, and it says, Pharaoh, now Joseph has a meeting with a top leader. Joseph is meeting with someone that literally is the, the most powerful person in the world. There was no other nation more powerful than Egypt at that time. Egypt was the superpower of the day. And Joseph had a meeting with the number one guy, Pharaoh. And watch what happens. It says, Joseph changed his clothes and he shaves. So Joseph puts on a new wardrobe. This guy has changed clothes a lot in his story, right? And he comes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh begins to tell Joseph about his dreams. This looks pretty nice, right? <laughs> so Joseph begins to tell, right, right? Pharaoh starts telling Joseph about his dreams, and Joseph says, I cannot interpret your dreams, but God is in the business of giving the interpretation. God is in the business of giving the answers, so Pharaoh says, listen, I saw seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, seven big you know, heads of grain and seven thin heads of grain. And Joseph says, the dreams mean the same thing. Watch this in verse 25. He says, God has revealed to Pharaoh what is about to come. God wants to speak to his church. God wants to speak to you and give you wisdom about things to come. We are in a time right now where there needs to be churches that are moving in the spirit of Joseph who understand the signs of the times and say, we are in some crazy times, but God has the answer for what is confusing the kings, the presidents, and the pharaohs of our day, and the Fauci's of our day. God has the answer, and he's going to speak to his church. And so God speaks to Joseph and gives Joseph the interpretation, and Joseph says, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna have seven years that are harvest time, seven years of prosperity. Just like you saw the seven fat cows and the seven you know, heads of grain, there's gonna be seven great years, but you need to steward what comes in. And in fact, Joseph says, listen, you can't just spend everything that you, that you have that comes in. You need to set a bunch aside because there's going to be seven more years. Just like you saw the seven skinny cows and the seven thin heads of grain, there's going to be seven years of famine. So Joseph was 30 years old when he was brought into the palace and he begins to give this interpretation. I love how Joseph sets it up too. He says, you are going to need someone who's smart. Someone who's different than your wise men over here, right? Joseph goes, these guys, they didn't have the interpretation for your dream. You need someone who understands. Joseph is, is very politically smart. He goes, you need someone who understands the times we're in, the dreams that you're having, and knows what to do. And Pharaoh looks for someone. He looks around his room, and he says, who can I put in charge? Who should be the one that oversees it? And the plan seems so good that Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, this is verse 39, 
you will be in charge of my palace and all of my people will submit to you. In one day, in one day, Joseph went from the prison to the palace. In one day, Joseph went from being a prisoner to being literally a king in charge of a nation. God can change your story in one day. Don't ever let the enemy convince you that your season is permanent. In one day, everything can change. We think it's suddenly, but when we read the story, we realize this was 13 years in the making. 13 years of trauma, 13 years of pain, 13 years of Joseph being betrayed by his family members, thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, accused of crimes he didn't commit, stuck in a prison, forgotten by his friends in the prison, overlooked, ignored, wondering if he would ever get out. And in one day, everything shifted. So Joseph began to give orders. Joseph began to instruct and tell people what to do. Pharaoh said, everything I have is now yours. In fact, Pharaoh took the ring off his finger, stuck it on Joseph and said, whatever you say goes in this nation. Put a robe on Joseph, began to talk to Joseph as if Joseph was his right-hand guy. And Joseph was 30 years old, verse 46, when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and he traveled throughout Egypt. Now watch this. Before we get into Joseph's forgiveness, we need to study Joseph's stewardship because what he did in this time is so important for all of us in this room. Joseph looked at what was going on, looked at what was coming in, and sure enough, verse 48, it says, during seven years of abundance, Joseph began to collect all the food that was produced. So he was, he was a good steward. Everybody say stewardship. stewardship. Stewardship is watching what's coming in and being very wise with what you have. Like, like not being wasteful and not being uh, just you know flighty with your money and, and just buying whatever you want. Stewardship is really paying attention to what's coming in and making sure that you honor God with your resources, that you, you set some aside, that you're saving some up because you know that not every year is going to be a prosperous year. Not every year is harvest year. There are years of famine. And so Joseph was setting stuff aside and he was preparing for what lied ahead. It says he stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much in the storehouse that he stopped keeping records of it because it was beyond measure. That's good stewardship. You know, when the pandemic hit in, in our nation and people began shutting their doors down and businesses started closing and the, the, you know, the fear began sweeping across our nation, because of your generosity and because of the stewardship of our leaders in this house, people like Jeff Guter, whose birthday is this weekend. Happy birthday, Jeff Guter, who works in our accounting department. People like Laura Straub, Daniel Henshaw, people who work behind the scenes. We had been setting stuff aside. So when there was a famine, our church was ready to serve those in need. We fed 14 million meals during the pandemic, more than Amazon, because listen, God had prepared this Joseph-like church to handle the famine that was coming. And I don't think it's the last one we'll see, which means that we've got to be so wise right now during this time that every time, every time there's a week of plenty, we are setting some aside saying we've got to be ready for North Tulsa, South Tulsa, East Tulsa, West Tulsa, Afghanistan, Brazil, Peru, China. As a church, God wants this house to shine bright, but you have to be good stewards. And all of us, 
All of us should be looking at what am I doing to prepare for what's ahead? Joseph was preparing so that he could be ready to serve during the pandemic, so that he could be ready to serve during the famine. Verse 50, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Because when we read this, we go, yes, name your future, name your season, prophesy over what God wants to do. And I love that. But Joseph begins to prophesy with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. It says in verse 51, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, which sounds good, right? And he says this, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. The first part is great. You should forget your trouble. The second part, God's going, we'll see about that. <laughs> and I can already feel it in the room go, well, he should forget about them. They were mean to him, Paul. Have you ever had family members treat you mean? Listen, Joseph was there. Joseph was going, God, thank you that I am in charge now, I'm succeeding, I'm doing great, and I never have to think about my family again. Every time I look at my son and say, Manasseh, I'm saying, God, you helped me to forget my brothers, forget my dad's house, forget the place I came from, and God's you know, up in heaven going, oh, just wait, because <laughs> I'm bringing them all back to you, right? This is the real test, is what will you do when the people who hurt you the worst show up at your doorstep? Joseph says, Manasseh, I'm forgetting about my brothers. The second son he named Ephraim. And he said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. In the land of my suffering. In the land of my trauma. Trauma. It's a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. During uh, the summer, we did a series called Mind Games. And, and I spoke specifically about the idea of trauma. Traumatic post-traumatic stress disorder. This idea that something happened in your past, that every time you're around something that reminds you of it, there's a trigger and it affects you. Trauma is something that all of us in this room at some point will face, even though we might say, well, Paul, I've never been in the war. I, I, I don't have PTSD, I'm not like that. But trauma is anything that's caused a deeply distressing or disturbing experience in your life, an emotional response to a terrible event. It could even be from a car accident. It could be from a natural disaster, which all of us just walked through a pandemic. And so there's, there's triggers that begin to stir in us. The term trauma means wound, wound. It means being severely hurt on the inside, a wounding from within, a psychic wound, a wound on the mind, a wound on the soul. Hospitals use this word trauma for, for uh, uh, traumatic things, right? The, 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 the space where they would bring people into an ICU, an emergency room, traumatic situations, traumatic events, car accidents, bad sports injuries, activities that, that would cause injuries to the head. And Joseph had experienced so much trauma in his time that here he is going through success experiencing prosperity, but he's still thinking about what happened in the past because success doesn't heal trauma. Prosperity does not fix family wounds. You can be making all the money in the world and still be thinking about what happened between you and your dad, between you and your son, between you and your spouse. 
And it says, when the famine had spread, in verse 56, over the whole country, Joseph opened up the storehouses, and he began to sell grain to the Egyptians, for the, fam the famine was severe throughout Egypt, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. God was about to line this up. Now, Joseph had gone through seven years of plenty, which now made him 37, and then two years pass into the famine, so now he's 39. 39... Back to when he was 17, it's been 22 years since he has seen his family. And watch what happens in, in chapter 42. When Jacob, the father of Joseph, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you stay here when we need to get help down there? I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down and get some for us so that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. Again, it's been 22 years since Joseph has seen his family. And Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's youngest brother, because he was afraid he might lose him. So the father is still dealing with the pain of loss, of, of losing Joseph. So Israel's sons were among those who went to go buy grain down in Egypt in the famine. And, and watch this in verse six. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold the grain to all of its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Where have we seen this before? This was Joseph's dream. Joseph had a dream where all of his brothers, when he was 17, all of his brothers were gonna bow down to him. So imagine you're Joseph, and, and, and you're wearing the Egyptian stuff, you've got the Egyptian headdress on. They don't even recognize him, but he recognizes them. And he recognizes in this moment, as they begin to bow down, he goes, oh. This is what I've been waiting for. This is what I saw when I was a teenager. These are the guys who tried to kill me. And you think you're good until you see that person again. Have you ever been surprised to see someone that you were kind of hoping you would never see again? You ever ran into someone and you're like, whoo, I didn't think I was gonna see you again. You ever been there before? Like four of us in the room? Okay, there we go. Yeah, it's an odd thing. It's an awkward moment. It happened to me once, um, someone who hurt my family and, um, and caused some, some pain on my family. And, and this was a long time ago. And I hadn't seen them for years. And then I'm walking through the Dallas airport. And sure enough, I'm coming down the escalator, headed on a mission trip. And there that person was. And my heart started beating really fast. And all the memories started coming back. It's crazy how 39-year-old Joseph all of a sudden becomes 17-year-old Joseph in this moment. Because trauma brings you back to the moment where it happened. And you're no longer acting like a 40-year-old man. Now you're acting like a teenager again. And you start reliving those moments. Oh my goodness, I remember what they said to my dad. I remember what they did to us. I remember how they treated us. Joseph starts replaying all the moments in his mind. I wanna give you real quickly a few truths about trauma. Number one, we've all faced or will face trauma in some way. We all have faced or will face trauma in some way. Jesus promised this right here, John 16, in this world you will have trauma. In this world you will have trouble, you will have trials, you will have difficulties. Following Jesus does not exempt you from trauma. Following Jesus does not exempt believers from troubles. And, and we gotta be careful that when we get, you know, get people saved and we say, God wants to change your life, your best days are right in front of you, that we also mention, and you will face troubles. 
Because we don't always say that. <laughs> we we want to just kind of promise everybody that it's going to be amazing. It's going to be seven years of harvest followed by seven years of famine, you know. But the truth is, following Jesus, you face, you face trauma, you face trials. Even when you don't follow Jesus, you face trauma and you face trials. But with Jesus, you actually have a comforter who's with you closer than a brother through the trauma, through the troubles, through the difficulties. It's going to happen. Number two, God is not the author of your trauma, but he is the trigger for your healing. And that's important because I've heard pastors say that God caused the cancer to happen in their, in their family. That God was behind the divorce that happened. That God was using the abuse to teach their kids a lesson. That, that somehow God was the author of the pain that was inflicted on them. The leukemia, the autism. That God was the one who gave that to their family. No, no, no. God is not the author of sickness or disease or death or cancer or abuse or divorce or dysfunctions in your house. God is the author of life. John 10 verse 10. I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So you say, well, where does it come from, Paul? And why does God allow it to happen? It started in Genesis, which is where we're at right now with Joseph. Genesis chapter 2, we have the story of man and God in relationship. Adam talking to God. God gives him Eve, right? And Adam and Eve are, are, are in fellowship with the Lord, and then they sin in the garden. When they sin, darkness enters into the earth. And, and the very first terrible crime after Adam and Eve sinned is the crime of murder because a, a brother was jealous against another brother. And we have family trauma. We have family trauma between two brothers. And the book of Genesis ends with the story of Joseph and his brothers. Could it be that God was wrapping things up in Genesis to remind families everywhere that his goal is to reconcile and restore instead of get revenge towards those who've hurt you the worst? What if it wasn't even about Joseph and, and Benjamin? What if it was about Jacob and Esau? Or what if it was about Isaac and Ishmael? Or what if it was about Abraham and Lot? Or what if it was about Noah's sons? Because they definitely didn't get along. The whole book of Genesis is about brothers and families just at war with each other, hating each other, jealous of each other, murdering each other. And God sets up a divine appointment for Joseph to face the people who hurt him the most. God is not the author of your trauma, but he is the trigger for your family's healing. He was triggering Joseph. He was setting him up. Revenge or restore? It's your choice, Joseph. Number three, God is with you through your trauma, and he's the only one who will truly understand your pain. I love that we sang that song at offering. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. Because the truth is, He's the only one who gets your pain. Amen. He says, you got scars, I do too. Right here, right here, me too, me too. You've been betrayed by friends, me too. You've been betrayed by family, me too. You've been crushed in your spirit, overwhelmed, wanting to give up, me too. Jesus says, I get it. I get that you want revenge. I understand your pain, but revenge never wins. Number four, trauma can have negative effects on your life if you don't deal with it. Trauma will have negative effects on my life if I don't deal with it. I remember listening to my grand-grand tell her story when her husband passed away and from a hunting accident, and she was sitting in a rocking chair at her house, and my dad came to visit her, and my dad said, 
Mom, you can either get bitter or you can get better. You can't do both. You gotta choose which one you're gonna do. You're gonna get bitter or you're gonna get better. If you don't deal with the pain of loss, grief, traumatic events, it will make you bitter on the inside. And shaking your fist at heaven doesn't make you a better person. God, why did you let this happen? God, why did we get stuck with this situation? How come these families don't have to deal with this, but our family does? God, why did, this, why did the doctors mess up in the hospital? Why did dad die? Why did they get divorced? Why was I abused? Why did this happen? And you can, you can live with questions your whole life, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Getting bitter doesn't make you better, and it actually makes you worse of a, a person. You become more resentful with everyone you're with. The only cure to your pain is to receive the healing love of God and to say, Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you. I don't get why our family walked through this, but I'm not going to live for the next 40 years shaking my fist at you or at my family because it's not making me a better person and I will be miserable the rest of my life and it is my choice. It's my choice. God will not force restoration on you. He won't. He'll let you choose. He'll let you choose what you do with it. Number five, you're not bad for still feeling the trauma. It's okay to not be okay. Just don't stay that way. It's okay if you came in today and you're going, man, if I'm honest, I still have memories of the past. How do you know if you're still bitter at someone? How do you know if you're still dealing with some resentment towards what happened? When that person walks in the room and your attitude changes or your heart starts beating faster, that's when you know there's still something there. My friend Denise told me that if there's a tone, there's a stone, right? If your tone changes, there's a stone there. If there's a look, there's a book. <laughs> you ever been given a look and you're like, there's a thousand words behind that look? You ever been given that look? Or have you ever given that look to someone? Yeah. My daughter, Ellie, she's got some looks. I'm like, calm down. She's like, you know, she'll give me some dirty looks. She's only two years old. I'm like trying to train her to stop that. Number six, you don't have to let the trauma dictate your destiny or your daily enjoyment of life. God wants you to enjoy your life. God wants you to be healthy on the inside. Beloved, 1 John 3, I wish above all else that you would prosper as your soul prospers, that you would be in good health. It is God's desire that his church would have emotionally healthy souls. But we've got to deal with the pain. So here Joseph is, and he's facing his brothers. And watch what happens here. It says, as they bowed down to him, verse seven, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, chapter 42, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger. So Joseph starts playing games with his brothers. You know, I love the human side of Joseph. Before we get to the divine part, for four chapters, Joseph plays games with his brothers. He lies to them, he lies about them, he accuses them of crimes they didn't commit, he throws them in prison, all of these things sound very familiar. Joseph is putting them through what they put him through. And he's testing it out. He's going, do I like this? Do I like revenge? Revenge might feel sweet for a second, but the aftertaste is bitter. So he's trying it out. He's lying about them. I know you stole something from me. He puts golden cups in his brother's uh, bags of grain. 
He says, you're going to spend the night in prison. You guys are all liars. He starts pointing at them, accusing them of stuff, angry at them. This is the human side of Joseph, and all of us have those tendencies where we go, yeah, they need to pay for what they did. They need to pay for what they did. Wanting justice feels good until you're the one who needs mercy. Because as long as you don't need mercy, you're pointing at everyone. Oh, we are gonna judge some people today. And Jesus says, let's talk about the log in your eye before you start trying to pick the speck out of your brother's eye. Peter even had, had a problem with the idea of mercy and forgiveness. I love Peter. I love all the human people in the Bible. Peter, Peter goes, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive people who offend me? How many times? Seven? Like, Peter thought that was a good answer. Seven times, and then I'm good. I can cancel them. I'm done. I can kill them. I can cut off their ear. You know? <laughs> Jesus goes, no, Peter, not seven times. This is Matthew 18. Let's go to Matthew 18. We're going to talk about forgiveness for a second. Matthew 18, verse um, 22. Jesus says, not seven times, but I tell you, 70 times seven. His point is not counting to 490, because I did the math. It's 490 times. I was like, okay, I got it. 490 times, and then I get to be done with people. That's not what Jesus was saying. He's saying you cannot put a limit on forgiveness. As much as you need it, give it. And even if you think you don't need it, give it. In fact, Jesus even puts it in the Lord's Prayer because his, his disciples said, teach us how to pray. And he says, okay, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Jesus says, I want you to pray that God would forgive you the way that you forgive President Biden. It just got really quiet in this church. I want you to pray that God would forgive you the way that you forgive President Trump, the way that you forgive Vice President Pence, the way that you forgive President Bill Clinton, the way that you forgive the people who hurt you the most, the way that you forgive your ex, the way that you forgive the, the, the teachers who, who were mean to you and mean to your kids. When you mess with my kids, it's next level. <laughs> I want you to forgive Imagine that you got to heaven and your next door neighbor was him. You're going, no, no, there's no way God would let him in. There is no way God's letting that, that person in. Paul, do you know what they did to us? Do you know what they did to our nation? Do you know what they did to our military men and women? There's no way God could forgive a terrorist. But then you start reading your Bible and you go, wait, 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 wait. Paul the apostle was a terrorist. And God let him in. What if your next door neighbor was the person you hate the most in heaven? I read this poem and I thought it was really good and I wanted to share with you. It's a poem about heaven. <laughs> and it says, uh, I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door. Not by the beauty of it all, by the lights or its decor. It was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp. The thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who stole my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus. What's the deal? I would love to hear your take. 
How'd all these sinners get here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, Jesus said. They're all in shock because no one thought they'd see you. <laughs> Listen, all of us in this room need mercy. <laughs> there was a, a man crying out as he was dying. And he said, Lord, remember me in paradise. As Jesus was on the cross in Luke chapter 22, this, this thief, this liar, this murderer who deserved the punishment for his sin is crying out saying, Lord, just remember me in paradise. And Jesus said, not only will I remember you, but you will be with me. Amen. Romans says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So who gets into heaven? Who deserves our forgiveness? Do we even deserve forgiveness? That's the beauty of God's mercy is you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. He gives it to you as a gift. Not because you've been good enough or passed all the tests or, or, or followed all the rules, but because he's that good. And he asks us to follow that same way. He says in Matthew 5 verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. So back to Joseph. Joseph is treating his brothers harshly. He's angry at them. And you go, they deserve it. They deserve it. They deserve all of that and more. He should kill them all right? Joseph's angry. He's screaming at them. At the end of chapter 44, he has put them through the ringer, lied about them, lied to them, shouted at them, thrown them in prison, told them they're worthless, said all kinds of things. And chapter 45, verse one, it says, Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence now. So there was no one there except for Joseph and his brothers. In other words, restoration is not a public thing. It's a private thing. True restoration is not shouted on Instagram and Facebook. I'm gonna tell everyone what they did to me. No, 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 that's, that's revenge. Restoration is saying, I don't want anyone to hear what you've put me through. I don't want anyone to, I don't wanna throw you under the bus, but the accusations, the hurt, the wounds you caused, the abuse. We need to talk about this. Restoration is confrontation, but it's not public humiliation. It's private. And so Joseph pulls them to the side and he says, let's talk. By the way, why do we not forgive? Why do we not forgive? Five common rationalizations of why people don't forgive their families or friends. Number one, I can't forgive them because it's too big. What they did to me is too big of a sin. By the way, the harder it is and the more bigger it is, the more you don't wanna carry that. But too many people say, I can't forgive because it was too big. Number two, we say time will heal all wounds, so I'm not going to deal with it. Time will heal it, so I'm not going to deal with it. And so we put it on the calendar. One of these days, time is going to fix it. Maybe in 2022, let's put it on June 22nd, you're in charge of, of forgiving my family. You know how silly that sounds? That time is going to fix my family wounds? No, 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 I'm responsible to go and make things better between me and a person. Number three, I'll forgive when they say they're sorry, Paul. Why do we not forgive? Because I'm not forgiving until they apologize. If you're gonna win in relationships, you're gonna have to lose in your ego. If you're gonna win in your family relationships, you're going to have to lose in your pride, which means that you might be the first person to apologize even though they're wrong. 
I can't forgive them until they say they're sorry. They may never say they're sorry. Some of them are already in the grave. They can't say they're sorry. So then it's up to you. And number four, I can't forgive them if I can't forget what they did to me. But that's backwards. The only way you change the memory is when you choose to forgive. And you don't necessarily lose the memory. You just no longer have a sting connected to it when you see that person. You say, I I still remember what they did, but it no longer haunts me. It no longer keeps me awake. It no longer scares me when they walk in the room because I've forgiven them. I have chosen to forgive them, not because they deserved it, but because God's mercy is that good. Number five, but if I forgive them, they'll just do it again. They'll just do it again. And the problem with that is you continue to live in this house of bitterness, this resentment. To forgive is to set a prisoner free only to find out the prisoner was you all along. Joseph was wearing king's clothes. But when he started putting his brothers through pain, it was like he was going back to his prison clothes. And God was saying, what are you going to wear, Joseph? The clothes of restoration or the clothes of revenge? Because you can't wear both. You choose your wardrobe. But I I command you, clothe yourself with kindness. Clothe yourself with compassion, with tenderhearted mercy. For the Lord has been compassionate to you. Be merciful. So Joseph looks at his brothers and he's weeping. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. Pharaoh's household heard about it. I want to invite my friend Chrissy up here. Chrissy um, came here about 14 years ago. And she came with a whole lot of hurt and a whole lot of pain and joined our Bible college and joined, um, joined in our really a, a kind of a class, a, a group of people with Ronnie and Pam Cornwell that began to help you get restored. Share with them what you walked through. Yes, thankful for those living room moments. So, you know, as a kid, we grew up in a very dysfunctional home. Parents separated when I was very young. Um, some of the earliest memories I have, even as a young girl, three, four years old, was being abused. So I lived mostly with my mom at that point. Um, and she had men kind of in and out. She was a drug, a- drug addict. And so everything that comes along with that, there was, you know, different houses we would go to. And drugs would be exchanged sometimes for money and sometimes for me as a, as a young kid. I remember going in closets and different things. Anyway, all that to say I had a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. A lot of confusion. I mean, even as a young kid, I remember thinking, this is all I know, but I know this can't be right. This can't be what parents are supposed to be like. And so, you know, growing up uh, in my teen years, you know, that just turned into, well, I guess this is what my life is, is to be used. I guess I'm just here for other people. Um, Don't have any idea of any sense of worth at all. Really think, man, why am I even alive? I I remember at a young age even thinking, should I even be here? Should I just end this now? If this is what my life is gonna be, I don't don't want it. Um, So as a teenager, you know, that was from guy to guy, from party to party, and looking for something to fill me because God put a, a a hole in our heart the size of him. But I was looking for other things because I didn't know who he was. So I moved here actually from California when I was 22 and heard about this Jesus who loved us so much. I remember thinking, I don't, I don't really believe that someone could love me that much, but I'm willing to try. Like, I'll, I'll put myself out there one last time. It was kind of a last-ditch effort. And through that process, I, I learned about forgiveness. And I really felt like, man, my hardest thing to forgive is going to be the men that abused me growing up. But it turns out the hardest person to forgive was my mom. 
because she allowed them to come into my life. And so God gives his parents to show the love of God. And so when those same people are the people who let in danger and who let in hurt, it's, it's very confusing. And so through that time of going to Victory College, I remember taking class on renewing the mind with Debbie Barker and, and going, okay, this is, I need to renew my mind. I need to figure out who God really is. Who, who am I even? I don't even know who I really am. And, and going through that process. And even after I forgave, I remember still being angry. It was like, but how did, how did you do this as a mom? I remember becoming a mom, looking at my daughter and the, the anger, can I tell you, it got bigger. Now, the first time I forgave my mom, I meant it. I meant it with all of me. I, I gave her to Jesus. I understood then that it wasn't that she wanted me in pain. It was that she had her own pain. And so many times people have their own pain that they have not dealt with. And so it just passes on from one to the other. And so I knew that. But when I, I held my daughter for the first time, this anger came back of looking at my daughter going, how in the world could you put me in these positions? I'm like, I love her so much. I would do anything for her. And so that started the 70 times seven process of going, of God going, I, I love you. I have you. I'm going to walk you through this journey a little deeper. So we forgive, but sometimes there's that journey of, of going, okay, there's a deeper layer here that I need to deal with. And the anxiety and the, the torment at night and all those things kind of started to come back. And as I began to, to give that to the Lord and say, God, I don't know what this is, but I want you to heal me. And he started showing me, well, you still, you still fear rejection. You're still worried that one day your daughter is going to, to, to not have a contact like you do with your mom. And so I reached out to my mom during that time and it was a total act of faith because we didn't have contact. She still is, is in that lifestyle and I pray for her daily. Um, and that's the thing too, a lot of times, you know, restoration can happen, but if that person is still not safe, you can forgive them, but they don't hold the power for your future. Yeah, you can't right. wait for them to, right. to forgive or to be free before you get to choose to be free. And yeah. that was what set me free. I'm like, wait, I actually don't need an apology because yeah. even if I had an explanation of why she did what she did, the freedom wouldn't come there. It can right. only come from Christ. Yeah. And so reaching out to her and just saying, you know, I don't know what you fully went through, but I just want to say I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for what you went through that. I know that you did the best you could, and I genuinely know that she did. And so looking at my daughter then and my kids that came after, it was like I can love them in a different way because when you're wounded, you see through your wound. So everything, every trigger, every moment, every Mother's Day, everything is like this kind of that, that sting that you were talking about is there. But when you begin to forgive, and it's not like you didn't forgive the first time, but just remember that the, the, yeah. as the wounds kind of come up more, you just lay it at his feet again, again and again. And, and what I do know is that when you've gone through something, because sometimes we go, God, why, you know, I definitely have those questions. Lord, if you're good, what in the world? <laughs> what was all this, you know? And that's okay. He's big enough to ask those questions to but you're not gonna probably get the answer. What you will get is peace. Come on. Because the peace that passes understanding, you give up the right to understand the why, but he will give you his peace. And then you can have authority over what you went through when you give it to him. Come on, powerful. Thank you, Chrissy. So powerful. You know, she said so many like great nuggets. One of the things she said is forgiveness is a process, not an event. It's a process. It, it's, it's continual. And this is where Joseph is at. He's, he's kind of been practicing this for a while and he finally starts to say it to his family. So I wanna go back to Genesis 45. That was so powerful, Chrissy. Joseph says, I am Joseph. He reveals himself. I'm Joseph. And they're, they're speechless. They're looking at him. It's like he takes off his Egyptian headdress. He takes off his robe. By the way, forgiveness requires you to, to take off the mask and be vulnerable. 
and, and to show your true pain. You gotta show it. And he says, you put me through some major pain. I've aged a lot since you've seen me. Pain will age you, right? Joseph has been in the prison, he's been in the pit, he's been through accusations, he's weeping. He goes, I'm Joseph, I'm your brother, I'm the one you sold. He says this in verse four. He says, come close to me, come and see my wounds. Come, it's still me, I still have that same scar on my neck. I, I still, I'm, I'm still the, t- the teenage boy, I'm, 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 but I'm 39 now. And he's, he's, he's basically explaining to his brothers everything he's been through. He says, remember you sold me, you sold me as a slave. And now he says, I'm asking you, don't be angry with yourselves. This is real restoration. I love what Chrissy said. Sometimes they may not apologize and they may not even forgive themselves or forgive you for whatever reason they're holding grudges against you. But restoring really has to do with restoring you more than it has to do with restoring them, that you're restoring your heart. And and so Joseph says, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here, for it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Forgiveness helps you to change the memory. And instead of looking at the memory through bitterness, you look at the memory and you go, God used it for good. It was bad, but God turned it for good. You sold me as a slave, but God sent me as a servant. You sold me and it placed me in a bad place, but God was setting me up to serve the nations. God sent me ahead, verse seven, ahead of you to preserve you. So it was not you who sent me here, but it was God who used what you did to me to set me up to be the leader. I'm fulfilling the dream. It's different than what I thought. It wasn't the dream that I was imagining as a teenager, but it's so much better. By the way, I got kids now. He starts introducing them to his kids. He goes, this one I named, trying to forget about you guys, but God wouldn't let me forget. Here we are, family reunion. Let's get together, right? So he brings all of his brothers together and it says he begins to look at each of them and hug them. And then he begins to kiss them on the cheek. In verse 15, he weeps over them and all the brothers came together. I wanna skip to the last chapter of Genesis. This is how the book finishes. The book finishes with family healing, family restoration. Genesis starts with family trauma, but it ends with family restoration. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't let the story end the way that it started? That God has a better chapter ahead of your family, ahead of your life? By the way, in the end, God wins. No matter what you've walked through, we're going to have a big family reunion up there together with all the believers. And Joseph says this to his brothers, because they're afraid again. Their dad dies. Joseph's been taking care of all of them. And they, they, they start asking him, are you gonna kill us now that dad's dead? Forgiveness is a process. He says, don't be afraid, verse 19. I am not in the place of God. I'm not here to judge you. Mother Teresa said this, if you judge people, you don't have time to love people. You have to choose love over judging them. And then verse 20, this is, the, this is the final verse I wanna end on. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish the purpose that he had all along the saving of many lives. I want us to stand to our feet all over this place. God's gonna turn things around. I just got a note in service that one of our friends in the church, as we were talking about the seven years of increase, God is increasing many business people in this room. God is increasing. How many of you guys have seen God bring increase to your life this year? Even during, even after the pandemic and the famine, it's like God's helping you rebuild the storehouse. He said, I felt like God spoke to me in this service, this is right now, just got this note, to give $200,000 as a matching gift as the church raises finances for the vision that's ahead. Come on, Jesus. 
$200,000 as a matching gift to release prosperity. So if you want to be a part of sowing into that, by the way, in the next month, I, I didn't want to share it in the series because it's a big vision, but there is a big vision that we're going to be casting at the end of October, early November. And uh, this gets me excited because this will go right into it. It has to do with continuing to increase what we're doing with Camp Victory, with our Tulsa Dream Center, with Victory Christian School. Uh, it's, it's going to lead to a great impact of many people's lives through what God wants to do. So this is a huge seed that you can be a part of, $200,000 matching gift. Maybe there's some of you in the room that want to be a part of that. But as we get ready to close today, I want us just to take this moment at this altar call right now to pray for anyone in the room who feels like maybe you've walked through some stuff that Joseph walked through. Maybe you've been going through some things that you just need to forgive. You need to forgive yourself. You need to forgive others. You need to release it. You cannot grab hold of your destiny if you're holding on to your history. You cannot take what God, just like Chrissy had to let go in order to be the mom that God's called her to be today. She had to forgive the mom that she grew up with. She had to let go of the wounds that she was holding onto from her past. Some of us in this room are punishing people today for what other people did in our past. And God's saying, it's time to forgive. It's time to move forward. God has so much more for you. I want us just to close our eyes all over this room. If you're here today, and you need prayer for some healing in your heart, some forgiveness in your heart, some restoration in your mind and heart. You may not be able to do it for others, but you can do it for you today. If that's you all over this room, I want you to just lift your hand up. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, 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 yes. From the front to the back. Yes, 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 yes. Anyone else, you're here today, you say, would you pray for me? I need restoration in my heart. I need to release some things. I need to forgive. I need to let some stuff go. I need God's grace on my life. If you raised your hand today or you just are here today and you want to surrender, I want you to leave your seat. Come and join me at this altar right now. We want to cheer on every brave man, brave woman, brave couple, sons, daughters, parents, grandparents all over this place today. This is a new day. This is a day for healing. This is a day for forgiveness. This is a day for restoration. This is a day for renewal. And as you come to this altar, we're just going to take a moment. We'll dismiss in just a minute, but we're going to take a moment to worship and to give it to God at this altar. As you come down to this altar, just begin to surrender to the Lord. Yeah. The altar is open. His mercy is new every morning. His grace is here today.
hand on your heart this morning and say, Jesus, thank you for your mercy. Where would I be without your grace? Lord, I need you. Restore me. Renew my mind. Renew my heart. Help me to see things the way you see them. Help me to love people the way that you love me. I choose to forgive those who have hurt me. I choose to forgive myself. And I release bitterness. Lord, I choose to trust you. I repent of my sins. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. And I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I'm all yours, God. Thank you for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.